Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I am Michael Kingswood, retired naval officer, Christian, dad, and writer extraordinaire. I mostly focus on science fiction and fantasy, but I've been known to write just about everything under the sun, including the occasional romance. The purpose of this podcast is to share my stories with you, the reading slash listening public. So sit back and relax, because I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood. It's story time and I'm running way late. Uh, getting this out uh, right before I head out for my Sunday evening driving. So I'm just going <laughs> to get into it. This is the ninth story in Stories from the Great Challenge. The collection of 52 stories that I wrote over the span of a year. I actually wrote 53. One of them is not in here because it is on submission to writing contest. And uh, Hermes Kringle is in its place. Hermes Kringle was actually written later in the year. Uh, not during the challenge, but in the same time frame. And um, the other story that would have made it to 53 is on hold for publication elsewhere. So, needed to fill the gap, and Hermes is it. Science fiction tale, I think you'll like it. Written by me, read by me. I'm not a voice actor, but it's charming to have the author read his own stuff. All right, enjoy. I'll talk to you on the flip side. If someone had told Brian's eight-year-old self that he would one day be outside the world fixing Santa Claus, he would have laughed and called him crazy. But then, when he was eight years old, Brian hadn't really had a notion that there really was an outside of the world. It wasn't until he was a teenager and the lower deck areas of the world were open to him that he was first able to look outside through a small viewing port in the floor and see the majesty of the stars that his teachers had told him about for so long but that he had never truly believed it existed until then. From then on, he wanted to be one of the lucky few who got to go out on EVAs to repair and maintain the world's external systems. And he had. And now here he was, breathing recycled air that carried a hint of peppermint instead of the usual sweet sour of the EVA's suit scrubbers, it was Christmas Eve after all, and approaching a red-painted sleigh festooned with golden jingle bells and apparently pulled by eight annoyed-looking reindeer simulacrums, as it tumbled helplessly through the void of space. A large, red-coated man simulacrum, seated in the driver's seat of the sleigh, flailed his right robotic arm uselessly, while its left remained completely motionless. And Brian knew immediately what the problem was. He fired a quick burst from the maneuvering pack that he had strapped on around the waist of his suit, and his approach velocity, displayed in green text on the lower right of his face mask, slowed to just over one meter per second. Then he nudged with his chin on the transmit key for his comms array. EVA Delta IV approaching Kringle. There's a burst of static, and then Brian heard a female voice in his left earbud. Sounded like Stacy, the new girl in the comms division. Roger that, Brian. What's the status? Brian grinned. He hadn't worked with Stacy too many times, but every time he did, the warm cheeriness in her voice lifted his spirits a bit. Looks like a bad actuator in his left arm. Should be an easy fix. But why would that throw him off course so bad the auto shutdown kicked in? Brian couldn't stop from laughing over the comm circuit, even though it was a violation of regs. You haven't dealt with procurement much, have you? As he spoke, he noted the range to Kringle, displayed on the lower left of his face mask. Then he fired another quick burst and reached out with his left hand. No, why? It seemed he should be able to take hold of the Jingle Bell-lined reins, leading from Kringle's seat to the first reindeer pair right now, but he knew from experience distances could be deceptive out here. He opened his hand and waited, as his residual momentum carried him the rest of the way in. Kringle's thrust controller is on his right. Attitude controller is on his left. 
His belly's too big for cross-control, and no one ever installed backups. You're kidding. Wish I was. The reins impacted Brian's glove, and he grabbed hold. The last of his momentum carried the rest of him gently into the side of the tumbling sleigh, and for a moment, Brian twisted halfway around. He winced as the flexion on his left arm made the seam of his suit dig into the meat of his shoulder and bit back a curse. That shouldn't have happened. He hadn't checked the fit well enough before he went out. Stupid. But there was no help for it now. Brian gritted his teeth and worked to right himself. After another moment, he managed it, and he unclipped his tether line that was clipped to the front of his suit and secured it to an eye on the top of Kringle's sleigh, just in front of the big robot's seat. It was aware of him, of course, and Kringle's eyes focused on him tightly as Brian secured himself. His cheeks, rosy red, offset the gray of his irises, but the ever-present smile that made his round face into a welcoming bit of joy for the kids was gone. Even simulacrums can show frustration, it seemed. Hey, Chris, Brian said, and pulled himself over to hover next to the robot. How you doing? He didn't expect a response. Kringle didn't have wireless voice comms. Instead, the robot just flailed his right arm again. Yeah, well, hold tight. Brian was pretty sure he knew what the problem was, but he still needed to be certain. He reached out toward the robot, and Kringle's eyes narrowed, but he didn't move. He knew the drill. Behind Kringle's left ear was a data access port, concealed beneath a flesh-toned covering flap. Brian linked in a data cable, and a moment later, he heard a deep voice in his right earbud. Ho, ho, ho! Kringle's lips moved in time with his words, and it was almost like Brian was speaking to him through air instead of vacuum. Merry Christmas, Chris, Brian said. Run diagnostic, please. Kringle replied almost before Brian had finished the command. Left shoulder gyro actuator failure. 100% loss of function. Yep, just like he thought. Thanks, Chris. We'll get that fixed right quick. You're a good little boy. Brian had to laugh at that. He keyed the comms array again. Confirmed it's a bad actuator. ETA for repairs, 15 minutes. Roger, Brian. A burst of static, and then Stacy's voice was replaced by an older, male voice. Taro, the EVA section supervisor. Give me a decimeter check, Brian. He blinked, surprised. Taro didn't normally jump in like this. Brian raised his left wrist and looked at the display attached there. Though his face mask showed key flight parameters, other information like consumable stores could be accessed here. Two taps on the display brought up the dosimeter, and Bryant felt his eyebrows rise. He chinned his comms button again. 150 millirem per hour. That was way higher than it should have been. I was afraid of that, Taro said. You're drifting faster than we expected, and the vector shifted. You're heading toward the shield edge. Crap. It must have been when he impacted the sleigh on arrival. Brian turned around and looked back at the world, and his stomach rose up into his throat. It wasn't really the world, of course. Its name was Hermes. But it was his world, all he had ever known. Twenty kilometers of dimly illuminated silver-gray starship, with two seven-kilometer-long, four-kilometer-radius counter-rotating cylinders containing all the living space in existence, as far as it mattered. He had never been further than one or two kilometers away from the ship's surface. There had never really been any need. When he sat to retrieve Kringle, the sleigh had only moved one and a half kilometers away. They were further out now, much further. He could clearly see the reactor sphere and engine nacelles five kilometers aft of the sternmost living cylinder. Normally, he would only be able to see part of it. Brian tugged at his tether and spun himself around to look forward toward the shield. It was barely visible, just a circle of blackness a kilometer ahead of the forward cylinder, extending five kilometers past the outer edge of the cylinders in all directions forward. Most people sighed through the portion of the physics class that explained it, but since Brian wanted to be an EVA tech, he hadn't. Because Hermes was traveling at such a great speed toward their destination, the light from stars ahead was blue-shifted substantially. 
which meant that the normal amount of harmful radiation that existed in space increased as well, from the forward direction. The shield was constructed of high-density material to block most of those high-energy gamma rays so that people on board could be relatively safe during the journey, which, since it was supposed to take 300 years or so, Brian supposed was a good idea. Before, when he had looked at his shield while on EVAs, Brian had imagined he could see the distant star, SAO229624, but everyone just called it Eden, through the shield, even though he knew it wouldn't be clearly visible to the naked eye until probably his grandchildren were his age. Still, he liked to imagine it. Now, all he could see was that he was far closer to the edge than he had business being, and getting farther away by the second. He looked back at the decimeter on his left wrist, 165 millirem per hour. Crap. But survivable crap. He'd have to sit out EVAs for a little while to avoid exceeding his annual dose limit, but that's all. Once he got past the shield's perimeter, though, he nudged the comms array. ETA on shield edge? 12 minutes. Work quick. Double crap. Brian tugged on his tether and spun himself back to the sleigh. Chris, maintenance shut down in five seconds. Confirmed. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho. And Kringle's voice cut off and his body stopped moving completely. Brian got to work. Fast. Sometime later, Brian wasn't sure how long because he hadn't checked his chronometer. Static sounded in his left ear, then Tara's voice came through again. What's your status, Brian? Brian paused in the middle of screwing in a fastener to hold the new actuator in place within Kringle's shoulder socket and scowled. Almost there. Be easier if you stop bothering me. You're about to reach the edge. Time to call it. I'm right there, Brian said, hearing the frustrated growl in his own voice and feeling surprised at it. Check your decimeter. Brian ground his teeth, but shifted his focus away from the robot's open shoulder and rotated his left arm to see the display again. His blood ran cold. 3 rem per hour. 3.5. It was into the realm where he would have to turn back or not do any EVAs for a couple years if he kept it up for much longer. He wouldn't feel any immediate effects from the radiation until he hit 50 to 75 rem total, though, so he should be okay. It increased to 5 rem per hour. Brian looked forward to the shield and blanched. Taro was right. He was definitely passing beyond the protective boundary. Radiation levels would only go up until they reached a level where he wouldn't have to worry about not doing EVAs anymore. Survival would become a concern, but he looked back at the shoulder. He just needed to insert three more screws, then attach the arm connectors to the flesh covering, then re-sew the suit together. Five minutes, tops. Brian flashed back to that time when his eight-year-old self had watched Santa come flying into the world from the north pole of the forward cylinder, then spiraled down to settle onto the room of the Hermes Christmas Center, one of the few buildings in the world with a fireplace. This one large enough to house a bonfire big enough to warm up 5,000 kids at a time who, like him, were gathered in a semicircle around the flagstone-constructed mantle that housed it. A fireplace large enough that Santa could come down the chimney with ease, popping out from his door atop the mantle, and then sliding down a red-and-white candy-cane-striped slide with his satchel of gifts for all the kids in the world. Every year the gift was different. Brian learned later that they were pre-selected based on kids' age on a rotating basis. It was all part of the Christmas program the Hermes builders had constructed when they made the ship. But even knowing that hadn't changed the magic of those memories for him, even now, a couple decades later. All the children in Brian's world were waiting for that bit of Christmas joy and magic, and there was only one Kringle simulacrum in the entire universe. Or at least in the entire universe that mattered. He felt wetness running down his cheeks and realized he was crying over the loss those kids were about to experience. Not just those kids but all kids that would ever be born in this world. No, 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 not on his watch. 
Brian turned back to his work and keyed his comms unit again. Five minutes, Taro. You don't have five minutes. Recall now. Negative. The screw was halfway in when Taro's voice interrupted again. You're grounded, Brian. I'm remote activating your nav pack. Brian froze in surprise for a second, then grabbed hold of the edge of the sleigh, hard. A moment later, he felt like a rope was pulling him backwards as the thrusters on his maneuvering pack fired. It wasn't a ton of force. It didn't have to be in space. But the angle was awkward, and his grip was not the tightest in the bulky pressure suit gloves. It also didn't help that the sleigh began to spin with the new force, first slowly, and then more rapidly. Brian lost his grip. He flew back away from the sled and then jerked to a halt as his tether line went taut. The sleigh jerked slightly, and its rotation changed again. The thrust from his nav pack continued. For a second, Brian considered just giving in and heading back. No. I'm not leaving, Taro, he said into his comm. Then he reached down and hit the disconnect latch on the maneuvering pack that kept it strapped around his waist. Immediately, the thrust eased as the pack zipped away behind him. You're crazy, Taro cut off what he was about to say. Then, for a few seconds, all Brian could hear was him working hard to bring his breathing under control from the fury-imposed high he must surely have been riding just then. Then he spoke again, his voice calmer, but carrying a tone of cold anger and disbelief. You just killed yourself, you know that? Over a stupid robot? We'll see about that. Brian cut off the comms channel, then hauled himself back up the tether to the sleigh. The rotation was more intense now, and he felt it in his stomach more than he had before. But a glance at the dosimeter lifted his spirits a bit. Steady at five rem per hour. That bit of thrust must have helped mitigate his escape vector. Not that it would do him much good if he didn't get Kringle fixed. He looked into the robot's dead, lifeless eyes and managed a grin. Looks like I'm hopping a ride with you tonight, Chris. Then he got back to work. Brian keyed in the simulacrum restart code into the data pad on his left wrist. A second later, Kringle's eyes lit up and his head gave a little jerk. He focused in on Brian and beamed out a smile that always lifted up a child's heart. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Chris. Run diagnostics, please. Affirmative. Half a second's pause. All systems fully functional. Brian let out a breath he hadn't realized he had been holding. Do you have a fix on the Hermes? Affirmative. Navigational system sync completed. Hermes range 7.5 kilometers, bearing 265 Mark 20. Another slight pause. Warning. We are outside the shield barrier. Radiation levels are likely extreme. Brian nodded. I know. I'll be riding back with you if that's okay. Kringle looked sidelong at Brian for a second. His eyes flicked down to Brian's waist, where the maneuvering pack used to be, and his eyebrows rose. Evidently, you have no choice. He shifted over to the left, moving as far as the restraints that kept him secured to his seat would allow. That didn't leave much room, but right then, Brian didn't feel up to complaining. Using his tether and the eyes built into the slave's top, he hand over handed his way to the other side of the slave from Kringle, then slid in next to him as best he could. He took a moment to adjust the latch point of Ura's tether to bring it closer to him, then cinched it as tight as he could. It wasn't the kind of straps that were holding Kringle in place, but it would do in a pinch and it was far better than nothing. Brian looked back at Kringle and saw the simulacrum watching him expectantly. He nodded. Let's go deliver some toys. Kringle grinned broadly. You are a good little boy. He reached forward and took hold of the reins. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer, and Vixen. On Comet, on Cubit, on Donner, and Blitzen, he said. Then he gave the reins a snap. The engine buried in the sleigh below their seat came to life, a low rumble that carried through the sleigh's material and into Brian's suit. But more importantly, the reindeer began to run. And the sleigh turned back toward the Hermes and all the waiting kids. Brian had only been in the hospital once before, to have his appendix out when he was 15. 
It sucked then. It was almost worse now, and he wasn't in any physical pain. But holy cow, was he swamped. It seemed like every parent in the world had come by to thank him, leaving behind a card or a little faux flower or one or two bits of chocolate. By the time the nurse declared visiting hours over and shooed the last of them away, the little table next to his bed, beneath an electronic window approximation that displayed a force so large and thick it could only have existed for real on Earth so many decades and light years behind them, was covered to overflowing with the well-wishings. Several had fallen onto the floor. Not that Brian minded so very much. He understood how they felt. He would have felt the same if he had a kid. But he didn't feel like any sort of hero, even though many of them said he was. It had been, frankly, embarrassing. So when the door to his little room, all two meters by four and decorated as lifelessly as only a high-tech medical station can be, opened once again, he didn't even bother to look over. Look, I... He cut off when Stacy's voice reached his ears. Hey, Brian, how you feeling? He looked over then, and there she was, all cute with her auburn hair and the little dimple in her left cheek, wearing the white and gray jumpsuit that all the operations staff wore. How'd you get in here? They just chased everyone away. Her grin made the dimple a little deeper. I'm friends with the nurse supervisor. Oh, I just wanted to check on you. You doing okay? He shrugged. Doc says I didn't get enough dose for any stochastic effects. May have a higher chance of cancer down the line, though, so we'll be running tests more often. He sighed. I'm out of the EVA business for a while, though. Maybe forever, even if Taro doesn't fire me. Stacy snorted. If he fired you, he'd probably end up spaced. You're the most loved person in the world right now. Brian snorted, but he couldn't doubt that was true after what he'd been through with the parents. Instead, he just shrugged again. How long are you in here? Docs want me to stay a couple days just to be sure nothing unexpected comes up. Stacy nodded. Well, when you're out, you want to grab some eggnog? Brian grinned. The first true grin he'd managed in several hours. Sure, sounds great. After all, the man who saved Christmas for the entire world deserved a reward. Didn't he? Okay, so that was Tim Hermes' Kringle. The uh, fun Christmas sci-fi story. Uh, I liked writing it. I hoped you liked me reading it. Uh, if you did, please uh, tell everybody what's going on. Like, subscribe to this channel, or podcast or wherever it is you're hearing this from come by my website michaelkingswood.com sign up for the newsletter for updates on what's going on and to become a member of the site throw a couple bucks a month my way help make this uh writing thing cash flow properly and uh you get some some goodies in return in addition just the satisfaction of helping uh an awesome dude out uh uh, then go to michaelkingswood.com slash store and you can get all of my books in whatever audio, whatever audio, whatever format you want, including audio, um, direct from I me. Mean, you can go to Amazon, you can go to Kobo, you can go to Barnes & Noble, you can go to all those places and Google Play. You can go to all those places and get my stuff there, but it's better to come straight to me because cut out the middleman, I get more profit, I have more control, we have more better customer, you know, writer, reader relationship. Everything better that way. So do that. Uh, it's, of course, you don't have to. I love you to do. Anyway, the... Uh, <laughs> so next week's story is the 10th story from Stories from the Great Challenge. And let's see what that is. That is Kicking the Ant Hill. Kicking the Ant Hill is cool because it was a... Received a recognition. It was a semi-finalist in the uh, Writers of the Future contest uh, about a few months back. I think it was last year sometime. Um, uh, Writers of the Future is the 
biggest and most prestigious writing contest in science fiction, and uh, thousands of people enter each quarter. And there are three winners each quarter. Uh, there are nine semi, sorry, eight finalists, and sixteen semifinalists. Think the think those numbers are right. I gotta look them up again. It's either eight finalists and eight and sixteen semifinalists, or eight finalists and eight semifinalists. And then you have honorable silver honorable mentions and honorable mentions. So anyway, uh, of the thousands that were put in submitted that quarter that I submitted kicking the antel, this was judged one of the sixteen best in the entire contest. Should be presented to you here shortly. That's kinda cool. That'll be next week on Saturday. If you want to hear from me between now and then, uh, come every day. I am recommencing my stream. Michael King's was Deep Dive. We have the second one today, and we'll be continuing tomorrow afternoon, every afternoon at 2 o'clock Pacific time, barring iniquity. And I will uh, let people know if I can't make it or have to change it. And, uh, yeah, so come by then, and we'll talk to you tomorrow or talk to you next Saturday. Until then... Don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. For information on all my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. My books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.